we're going to play a game this morning. <clears throat> this game is called Have You Ever? Anyone played this game before? <laughs> One person. Yes. <laughs> All right, first time for everything. Have you ever... Have you ever had a dream that there's something living under your bed? Have you ever had that dream? No, it's just me. I had a dream when I was a little kid that I had a cow living under my bed and I was freaked out by this cow. I do not know why or where, uh, but, but part of our bed was I had a, a, there was a bed that was raised up and then my bed which sat underneath that bed. And then there was this little spot tucked away right underneath there. And uh, yeah, I was freaked out. Okay, next one. Clearly that was a hit. Uh, have you ever eaten food you thought was disgusting just to respect your host and their culture? Yes. You have done that? All right. It'd be fun to hear some of the stories. I was in uh, Fiji on a mission trip and uh, we went up into the central highlands of Fiji to this um, particular <laughs> village called Mbotanaulu. And uh, this, this village was um, pretty... Uh, it, it was out in the sticks, um, if you put it in Aussie language. It was uh, pretty isolated, and uh, they lived very traditionally, very basically. They did have a generator, which was pretty sweet, but you only had that till like 9.30 at night. Uh, so you didn't really have power. Um, and uh, there was this particular dish uh, where they actually roasted up a, a whole pig. So they'd gone and they'd killed the pig and then they uh, roasted it up. Bit of a, not a hungry style, but probably on a spit. That sort, of, that sort of idea. We got to the dish and everyone sits down. It's like it would have been about as long as this hall. And they put a big uh, tablecloth down the middle. You sit down to this uh, meal in the middle and they put all their plates all on the floor. You sit down on the floor and just eat this meal. I couldn't find for the life of me where this pig had gone. I, I was looking everywhere for this pork, and oh, I was so looking forward to this pork. And uh, all I could find was this green sort of mush uh, that, had, um, that had pig fat, like chunks of pig fat about that big. And that was it. That, that was all the pig I saw that night. <laughs> I do not know where the rest of the meat went, but there was just hunks of fat. And you ate it and felt really sick uh, because you wanted to respect them. Next one. Have you ever had to clean up after a child who has reached into their nappy with great delight, smeared what they found all over your furniture? Has everybody had to do that before? Uh, my wife found that uh, particularly uh, enjoyable. Uh, she rang me and said I had to finish it because she couldn't handle it in the end. Uh, my son had found some... Yeah, anyway. Uh, have you ever watched a movie with the, where the lips are out of sync with the sound? Frustrating. Just painful. Ah... Uh, have you ever observed someone successfully slipstream to conserve energy? Anyone here into car racing? You watch them slipstream uh, in behind the car so that they can conserve their power and their fuel. Um, I remember I was a, I've been a bit of a cyclist over the time and uh, I've enjoyed cycling. I remember coming up, it was out on the highway out here. We'd done like a 20, 24k loop, uh, which isn't that massive, but uh, we're coming back up, up to the top of Mount Kynock. I remember feeling absolutely smashed and there was this gun rider ahead of me. I thought, if I could just stay right up tucked behind him. And it was amazing. I could not believe it. It was amazing how, how, much, how free and easy it was just to cruise up behind this guy. It felt like I was not using any energy at all um, just because I was slipstreaming behind him. Have you ever criticised someone for being a hypocrite? <laughs> uh, maybe you haven't done it out loud. Maybe you've just done it in your head. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about this one? Have you ever found yourself praying out loud so that others will think you are a super Christian? <laughs> There's a few chuckles out there. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, what about this? Have you ever found yourself praying a few extra lords, father gods, as fill-ins for your prayer to make it sound really, really good? Have you ever done that? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I've entitled today's uh, sermon, Prayer and the Plaster Saint. I, I came across this, um, this term, a plaster saint, and it's a person who makes a show of being without moral faults or human weakness, especially in a hypocritical way. Um, and this is actually where we find ourselves in, in the book of Matthew today. If you've got it there, open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse nine, uh, verse 5. Sorry. Jesus seems to be speaking right here to a great crowd of people on top of a hill. Um, preceding this is Matthew 5, and it's the classic Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount doesn't finish with the blessed, right? Blessed are those who poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. It continues on for another three chapters, literally three chapters. You know in your Bible where you see the red, red stuff? That's, the whole, that's where Jesus is just talking. So he gives his massive sermon. Uh, and this is part of this massive sermon. He's teaching this crowd, probably a mixture of all sorts of people from all walks of life, including people who like Jesus and possibly people who don't like or know him. He's cranking out a huge sermon with a whole bunch of different points and the people are absolutely enthralled because it comes right to the end and it says they love listening to him. They loved uh, sitting under his teaching. So I'm inviting you to imagine today like you're sitting on that hill and you're listening to Jesus, not listening to me because that could get pretty boring pretty quick. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Here's what it says. And when you pray, chuck it up. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." Notice I've got the syncopation right. Did you get that? Who here learnt the Lord's Prayer as a child or growing up? Yeah? And there's a particular syncopation to how it goes. And, uh, and, and that was, it's just how I read it. I can't help but read it like that because that's the way everyone said it in church. Uh, you went along to the uh, church service and uh, everyone wrote it off this prayer. Everyone said the prayer together. Um, and as I was thinking about this sermon, it struck me that perhaps that's not what Jesus was meaning. When he said, here's how you should pray, that everyone should pray this prayer at every service, at a particular point in the service where everyone knew it would happen, and you wrote off this prayer. Maybe he meant something else, and that's what we're going to look at today. <clears throat> This section on prayer in particular is wedged between two other points in Jesus' sermon about giving to the poor and fasting. And there's a running theme. It says this, do not be like the hypocrites. If you read that whole section, which if you go to community group I've invited leaders to do, read the whole of Matthew 6, and you see these uh, really particular words and themes that keep coming through uh, in that that section. don't be like the hypocrites. Most of us, when we hear these words, think there is a particular race of people that Jesus is talking about somewhere out there. But be honest, everyone likes to talk about the hypocrite, but no one wants to admit their own hypocrisy. 
A hypocrite is literally an actor, someone who projects a particular image of themselves which is not really who they are. Right? Uh, think about this. Take, pause and think about how this uh, could be alive and active in your own heart, in your own life. Um, think about how alive and active it is in our culture, how easy it is to jump on Facebook and project a particular image about yourself that's not actually the true reality of, of what, who you are uh, or what you really are. Um, think about the movies that have been created so that for the character to snag their true love, they have to project a particular image of themselves pitched just right so that they'll impress at a level, every level possible, avoiding the reality of who they really are. You know those romantic comedies? My wife likes romantic comedies, so in turn, I like romantic comedies. Uh, so, uh, uh, well, no, let's not say I like them. I'll enjoy them because my wife enjoys them. Anyway, uh, you, know the, you know how it goes, right? So the guy wants to get the girl, so he has to put on a particular facade, a particular front, and project an image of himself uh, that is going to impress this girl. And, uh, and he finally gets the girl and he keeps up this image for so long and it only gets to a point, um, you know, the guy's having conversations with his mates and he's like, imagine if they find out who I really am. Like, can you imagine what this chick is going to think? She's going to think I'm an idiot. Uh, and then it happens. The great moment you know is coming. The character gets found out for the lying, no good scoundrel that they really are. They split up and go their separate ways. Or if it's a really sappy movie... Um, she likes him anyway. That's, that's a really nice ending. All right? Hypocrisy begins when what is reality and what a person believes or does become disconnected. So there's a particular reality, a particular set of beliefs and truths uh, that exist and your life starts to veer off in a completely different direction. And this is where hypocrisy be- begins, I think. Uh, It's more or less self-deception where someone is deceived into thinking that carrying out a particular action or idea that contradicts reality will actually be harmless as long as they don't get caught and they keep up the projected image of themselves. As long as I can keep up this particular image, everything will be okay. But hypocrisy always involves hidden agendas, doesn't it? And you can see this where Jesus is talking to the uh, hypocrites who are praying. There's a hidden agenda. They're not actually praying to God. They're praying to the people so that the people will actually praise them and like them and give them, give them honour. There's always hidden agendas. There's always hidden actions. There's always hidden attitudes and hidden thoughts which are never brought to light in the person's life. And when someone gets really close, the layers of self-deception, in other words, my, my hidden stuff is okay and it's not going to affect me or anyone else, it continues to be added so that those hidden things stay hidden. We want to project a really good image of ourselves. Ultimately, the person lives in a completely alternate identity to who they really are. The project, they project a pseudo-identity, which is what they want to be, but can't be because of all that they keep hidden. It's identity confusion, and this is a really lonely, lonely place. You may have 150,000 friends with this projected image, but when they actually get really close, you're probably fearful, freaking out fearful, that if they get too close, they'll find out who you really are. It's really lonely. Really lonely. Because the person who you really are isn't the person that you're actually living out. And here's what Jesus says. Look at hypocrite prayer versus sincere prayer. Hypocrite prayer uh, is... Look, look at the place where hypocrite prayer uh, 
takes place. It's public and it's noticeable. Verse 5, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. All right? So this is the person who sees the public prayer roster at church. They're like, I'm on every week. I'll be on every week. And they stand up in front of everyone and they, uh, and they say these particular prayers. Um, sincere prayer, Jesus said, is get into a closet somewhere. Close the door behind you. Go to your bedroom. Go out bush somewhere. Find a quiet place on your own. And what's the, what's the difference here? It's pretty clear, right? Public place, lots of people, noticeable. People can see you, people can hear you. Um, quiet place, on your own, only you and God, right? And you think about it, you could either go to that quiet place and hide and try to avoid all of your uh, pitfalls and all of your shortfalls and the reality of who you really are, or you can actually be the most honest about who you really are. I don't know about you, I, uh, I sometimes get to a point where um, I just need some time out, so I'll go for a ride and uh, I'll sit out on the edge of the uh, escarpment out there, I particularly appreciate just sitting and enjoying the view, and I just sit there and, uh, and just spend time talking to God and laying down before Him everything, everything that's going on in my life at that time. Um, and, uh, and perhaps you have something else, maybe you like going for a car drive, Maybe you like going for a run. Um, maybe it's, it's important for you just to sit and sit quietly. Uh, sincere prayer, according to Jesus, is ones that happen uh, in private. <clears throat> the second one, posture. What's the posture of a hypocrite prayer? The posture is standing for all to see. So they stand up in church, they stand up in, uh, <clears throat> in the cor- uh, on the street corner so that everyone can hear their grandiose prayer. Everyone can hear this amazing prayer and see how righteous they actually are. Uh, so they project this image of Christianity, they project this image of how good they really are uh, based upon this prayer that everyone can hear. Um, <clears throat> you come to the posture of a sincere prayer and it's humble, and it's for the audience of one. A sincere prayer has the audience of one. Who is that one, according to Jesus? That one is the Father God. The only person who really matters when you're praying is the Father God. When you stop and you think about uh, all the times that you pray, uh, I confess that I pray at times for my kids so that they can hear some really great prayers. I don't know why I do it. Obviously, I'm a hypocrite, like this says. Uh, but uh, sometimes you just, I just get into this trap of going, well, I need to teach them to pray, so I better teach them to pray really good prayers. Um, and so uh, there's this trap of trying to pray so that they would be impressed, trying to pray so that they would uh, hear how good of a Christian I am, uh, which isn't what Jesus is getting at here. Um, posture of a sincere prayer is humble for the audience of one. Who you're talking to is really important. Um, the third one is this it's reward what was the reward of uh, the hypocrite prayer the reward of the hypocrite prayer was that people will see you and people might praise you now I thought about this and I thought that sort of reward is like a uh, just one little chocolate drop um, my daughters lately um, have had to have medicine and uh, part of the reward for having the medicine is they get a chocolate drop um, 
because it's disgusting medicine. And, uh, and so they just they, they get this medicine down and they're like, yes, got a chocolate drop. And, uh, and, and I thought about this in relation to a hypocrite prayer and this being the reward. A hypocrite uh, goes out to pray and prays in a particular way so that uh, they know that their reward will be people liking them and people honouring them and people thinking well of them um, and well of their particular Christianity, well of their uh, particular way of speaking. Um, and it's like a, it's not just a chocolate drop, it's like a home brand chocolate drop. You ever taste a home brand chocolate drop? It's like filthy, disgusting. It's like the lowest of low home brand, and Ray particularly likes them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like a home brand chocolate drop. It lasts for like a moment and leaves a bit of a bad aftertaste and it's gone, right? That's the reward. That's the extent of the reward. You have this little tiny chocolate drop and it's done, dusted. Uh, look at the reward that comes from God. And I, I thought about this and, uh, and wondered about what's, what's the reward? Why is it that God the Father would reward uh, those who pray in secret? What do these rewards look like? I looked up the original language and uh, these two rewards were actually different words. Um, one basically meant pay um, and, and it was expected pay. Like, here's what I do and I get paid for it. All right? So the hypocrite prayer is, here's what I pray and I get paid for it by people's applause, people's praise, people's honour, uh, people looking at me and thinking I'm an amazing Christian. The reward that comes from God is different, right? And I thought about this in relation to my own fatherhood. I, I really, I don't mind giving rewards to my children uh, when they do what's right or when they do something that's good. But part of my delight in giving them a reward is when their back is turned and I come and tap them on the back and just say, look what daddy got you, just because I love you. You know, I saw that thing you did the other day and I just wanted to bless you with something. It might be, I don't know, it might be a little treat. It might be uh, going for a bike ride. It might be whatever. It's just a, there's, a, there's a delight that comes across my children's face and they just go, <gasps> a reward. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think you saw me. But thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. I think this is uh, something, it's not perfect, but it's something of the reward uh, that God the Father gives. Do you ever think of God as a father who rewards? Now, it would seem selfish, right? It would appear selfish to pray knowing that God is going to reward you. But why would Jesus say it unless it was good for you? To know that God's actually going to reward a person who prays in quiet, a person who's going to pray in secret. I thought about some ways that, uh, that possibly God might reward. Um, first is that it's unknown. You don't, like, Jesus doesn't say, for this prayer, God will reward you with this reward. All right? It's unknown. And that's part of the excitement. That's part of the delight, do you know? Like, you do something for your dad, and you don't know he's going to reward you, but you know somehow uh, he's going to reward you. You don't know what it is, you don't know when it will be, but somehow, somewhere, he's going to reward you faithfully. Um, and that's part of the delight. That's part of the enjoyment of praying, knowing that God's going to reward you. What could be the rewards? Here's just a few, and maybe you could add to this list. Um, but perhaps it's a visibly answered prayer. I don't know if you stop and pause to ask God for something, and he does, he encourages you to ask, God for th- ask him for things, and then stop and consider whether God actually answered that prayer. Do you see it? Like, do you ask for safety in a day, and you get home at night and go, well, I've got safety today. God kept me safe, God protected do you ask for um, help in a particular situation when you're walking into your boss's office and you don't know what to say? Say, God, I need help right now. You walk out of your boss's office and realize that God actually helped you. And there was a confidence about what you said or there, you had the right words at the right time. Uh, perhaps it's the visible answered prayer. 
And that's a really great reward because you know God is a faithful father. Uh, maybe it's comfort or peace or empathy. Maybe you're in absolute turmoil, you're suffering and uh, you're in pain. Uh, maybe you're going through a particular trial and you pray and you ask God desperately, God, I need your help. I've got nowhere else to turn. I've got nothing, to, nothing else I can give here. And God rewards you with comfort. God rewards you with the peace that passes all understanding. What a reward that you can walk through that situation, through that trial, through that pain. Maybe it's the eternal reward in heaven to look forward to. There's nothing better than the reward of a holiday at the end of a uh, long term of work, whatever work you do, right? And it's like a reward. At the end, you go, four weeks, I'm going to take four weeks and go on a sweet-ass family holiday. And, uh, and it's actually good for you to hold off. It wouldn't be good for you to go, okay, I'm just going to have the holiday right now. It uh, doesn't matter how hard I've worked, doesn't matter what happened, I'm just going to have the holiday now. And it's sort of like undeserved, do you know what I mean? Um, but you, you work long and hard and you push, push hard and you go really hard for a whole term and you know that at the end of it there's going to be this sweet holiday, this sweet rest. That's something to look forward to, right? And this is what God wants us to see. God doesn't want us just to think, I'm just going to get rewards now. That's what, the, that's what the hypocrites got, right? They got a reward now. And it was instant. It was, it was straight away, but it faded. It, it was gone in an instant, right? God's rewards last far longer than, than what we would want them to. Um, and, and, and he wants us to actually look ahead into eternity. doesn't just want us to look to right now. God is the Father who rewards eternally. Maybe it's the reward of salvation. Maybe you see someone, uh, God saves someone who you never thought they would save. Maybe it's salvation in your own soul. And you see God save you and go, why would he save me? What a gift. What a reward for the prayer uh, that I prayed in quiet. Maybe it's your growing holiness. And by this, I mean that no longer are you living hypocritically where these two roads don't match up, but suddenly you start to see the two roads match up. God's will, God's plans, and your life and the way you actually live and believe actually are lining up. And there's nothing more enjoyable than that, right? It's like the, uh, it's like the slipstreaming. There's a guy in front, he's going strong, you slipstream in behind and there's nothing more enjoyable. As you're saving energy, you're conserving, and uh, you're charging up ready to power ahead, right? And the same with God. You're growing holiness, your life's syncing up with God's will. That's a, that's a really sweet place to be. But Jesus doesn't just hang around here. He doesn't just say, don't be like the hypocrites. He actually gives an alternative and causes us to re be regularly reminded about the central areas of our life. So here's where we will start. <clears throat> I'll go back to that, sorry. Uh, what form does it take? The hypocrite prayer uh, is wordy, repetitive and verbose. Um, it means that uh, you're, you're praying long prayers, they've got lots of words, they've got lots of big words, uh, just, to, just to make it look really holy, look really good, look really spiffy. Uh, it's these amazing uh, prayers. The sincere prayer, uh, it would seem, is simple, specific and real. Right? Stop and think about your prayer. Is it just a rote prayer that you say just because they're words rattling out of your mouth? Or is it a sincere prayer from a heart that goes, I, I desperately need God? The prayer Jesus teaches us to pray uh, helps in these areas. And I think it's actually a prayer that causes, uh, helps you to fight against hypocrisy. It's interesting the last song that Hitsky uh, played up here, uh, talked to him, talking about uh, the desperate cry of my heart is to love you from the inside out. 
And I think uh, when you look at a hypocrite prayer uh, and you look at the life of a hypocrite, you actually see uh, that they're, uh, they're walking faithfully on the outside, it appears, but inside, internally, there's this great tension because what they're actually saying and what they're doing, the, the life that they're projecting is not actually matching up with what's actually core in their beliefs and, uh, and what's actually going on in their heart. So here's where we go. Identity, who are you? <clears throat> it starts like this. Pray then like this. Our Father, pause there for a minute. Pause there for a minute. Do you stop and consider your identity? Who are you really? <clears throat> There's a particular uh, point in the catechisms, um, the Westminster Catechism, that says, I am not my own, I belong to God. This is really valuable. This is, this is like every day... I'll say this as well. Sometimes I think uh, that we are so fearful of legalism, so fearful of um, repetition, so fearful of uh, seeming like it's become a legal, um, legal act that we're doing just to keep God happy, that we avoid it altogether. And I don't think that's necessarily helpful. Um, when Jesus gives us this prayer, it wouldn't be bad for you for a season to actually pray it every day and to break it down um, and, and to consider how, how you're praying. So when Jesus says, our Father, when you wake up in the morning, uh, you remind yourself who, who you belong to. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to your boss. You're not enslaved to your boss. Uh, you work for a boss, but you're not enslaved to him. You don't belong to him ultimately. Uh, your identity is sealed and signed and clear and distinct with God. So when I pray every day, our Father, what I'm praying is that, God, I'm your son today. Whatever happens today, I'm going to be your son through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're tempted to think that you belong to your boss and he or she is your master. That's not who you are. Maybe you're tempted to think you're enslaved to your spouse. That's not who you belong to. You belong to God, the Father, first and foremost. The second is this, praise. Whose name do you want to be famous today? Think about, think about uh, the particular part in this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right now, God is in heaven. And his name is the most glorious name above all names. And it's a name that it's our job to make famous day by day. Uh, whose name do you want to be famous today? His name alone is the name above every name. It's the name above my name. It's the name above my family name the name above every name. He deserves praise and honor and glory and thanks. In everything today, let your name and your glory be made more famous in my life. Is that a, is that a helpful prayer? For me personally, I find that very helpful because it grounds me at the start of a day to go, yep, uh, today, it's not about my name. When I walk into my classroom and I think, I want the kids to love me and th think I'm amazing, it's not actually about my name. It's actually about the Father's name that his name would be most glorious. <clears throat> so praise. First identity, who are you? Second praise, whose name do you want to be famous? Third purpose, what is your purpose? Well, Jesus says it clearly here. Your purpose is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in your life on earth as it is in heaven. A hypocrite doesn't want anyone else's will to be done. A hypocrite wants their will to be done. 
And they want their will to be done in such a way that it covers up all their shortcomings and all their shortfalls so that they don't have to uh, get close. For God's will to be done, it means that you authentically come in all your weakness, in all your failings, and you say, God, take me and use me today. Let your will be done in my life. Not my will. uh, Let your will be done. I no longer live for this world. I live for an eternal kingdom with Jesus as my king. I want your will to be done as I eat, as I drink, as I live, as I move, as I talk, as I work, as I think, as I love. The list could go on, right? I want your will to be done. Provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Where does your provision actually come from? Do you uh, live life with the idea that you are the sole provider for yourself? That could be practical provision like uh, food and water and, uh, and a home and all those things. Ultimately, you're not the provider of all those things. God says, I'm the provider of all those things. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He owns the whole world. And it's his to provide for you. Uh, so, you pause and you stop. Uh, you humble yourself and come and say, God, my provision comes from you. I actually depend upon you for everything I have today. Oh, how I need you. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgiveness. <laughs> I think that one came through the mic. <laughs> Forgiveness. Uh, will the true thoughts and intentions of your heart be exposed? A hypocrite wants to cover up their shame with everything they have, with every fibre of their being, they do not want to be seen for their weakness. And so they play to all their strengths all the time. They never expose weakness. And when they perhaps are exposed, uh, it didn't take me long to look up on, uh, on the web to find out um, people being exposed, lip sync failures. I think there was a, uh, I can't remember the girl's name, but uh, this, this particular young singer gets up, does a whole concert, and she holds the mic to her mouth, uh, sings the first verse, pulls it away, and the backing track keeps going. <laughs> she gets exposed for the, uh, the hypocrite that she is. Um, no one wants to have that, but sometimes it's actually the best thing for us. And God would say that it's the best thing for you to have all of your shortfalls and all, your, all of your shortcomings exposed, not necessarily publicly for all to see, but exposed before God at least, and exposed before people close around you who can help you to continue walking faithfully with Christ. Uh, so forgiveness. Forgiveness means you actually acknowledge, I'm weak, I'm sinful, and I'm actually in opposition to your will, God. And I need your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse me. Forgive me for getting angry easily today. Forgive me for... Uh, I mean, the list could go on. As God exposes to you your weakness, as God exposes to you your sin, uh, it's right for you to come to a loving Father who's actually going to forgive you. Forgive me. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the final one is temptation. Do you really want to resist temptation? Do you really want to resist temptation? Do you hate the sin in your own life so much and see it exposed so much that you say, God, I don't want to keep doing what I keep doing. 
and I can't do that on my own. You, you get so tired and so weary of, uh, of running and running and running either away from your, uh, of your sin or running and running and running to try and make up for your sin um, that, that you get so, so tired and so stuffed. And Jesus says, you know what? I actually want to help you resist that temptation. I actually want to lead you away from the temptation so that you don't continue doing uh, the wrong that you always do. These can be messy prayers. Uh, as I was looking on a particular website, I found by Ed Welsh, um, uh, this particular, uh, there was two little case studies, and, uh, and here's what they said. Here's a single woman's prayer about sexual temptation. Lord, here is what is on my heart. I just don't know what to do. I'm so confused about my relationship with this guy. I try to keep my desires in check, but that seems impossible. I want to keep this relationship, which scares me, and I want to stop this relationship, which scares me even more. I'm such a mess. Do you hear the rawness about that? It's not like, God, help me to uh, resist sexual temptation. That's really vague and unspecific. She gets the real specifics of what she really wants, right? I want to keep it, but then I want to break it off, and both are freaking me out. (laughs) I don't know what to do, God. I'm I'm lost. I've got nothing left. Uh, Do you come to God with... Every motivation in your heart. Say, God, here's the thing I really want. You know that sin? You know that particular area of weakness? I really actually enjoy doing that. It actually makes me happy. There's a rawness about that. God the Father knows your heart anyway. Uh, and there's, there's a rawness in that. And so it is. Uh, the woman is learning to cast her cares on the one who cares. Number two. Uh, recently I spoke with a woman who is plagued by hallucinatory voices that egg on sinful thoughts. She relies on food to quiet herself. Many would consider her spiritually weak. In one meeting with her, as I offered a biblical analysis of her issues, she asked, could I, read some of my, could I read you some of my prayers? A few weeks before I'd suggested that she begin to write out her prayers, but in the short time we had, I wasn't planning to follow up on that suggestion. I didn't even remember that I made the suggestion. Then she started reading her prayers. Jesus, please help me. I'm tempted to binge right now. I know it's wrong, but I've turned to food for so long that it has replaced you. I don't want to live like this. Flat out, straight, honest. Didn't have to cover anything up. Fully exposed before God. Second one. Jesus, I had a great conversation with a friend, so I didn't binge or purge. I'm really happy about that. Today I will seek her out again when I'm tempted. See the reward in that? The reward is that she actually got to enjoy a good relationship with a friend. God's a good father. He loves to reward his kids. Third is this. Jesus, I blew it so bad today. I stubbornly, rebelliously turned to food and I didn't care what you or anyone else said. Food was my refuge. I'm so sorry. But I'm afraid this could happen again. Thank you for hearing me. And thank you for making the sacrifice for sins once and for all. You hear again this, this open cry. I'm tempted My temptation today is that I love my name more than I love your name. And I'll get offended when people don't look at me, offended when uh, people might look at me the wrong way because I love my name more than I love your name. How open and honest are your prayers right now? If you were to look at the hypocrite prayer and the sincere prayer, I wonder where you would fall in amongst that. Um, They're not a separate race. I actually think the hypocrites are all of us. (laughs) Uh, at some level. And I think the highest level of hypocrisy is when you realize that you're disconnected from the reality of God and His ways. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every person. There's a reality. There's God's reality and his way to live. And every person falls short of that. Every person contradicts that in the way that they actually act and believe. And so they, they veer off God's reality, God's will, God's plans. They veer off my plans, my reality. I'll do it how I want. And so you see this massive V in the road. And what God desires is for you to actually come back so that you would actually align back with his will and his plans. In other words, all of us are hypocrites who know there is a way to live according to God, but live disconnected with that. But this is the wonder of the gospel. And this is what I want you to hear today. If there's nothing else you hear today, unlike the lovers in the movies, God does not run away when he finally realizes how hypocritical you are. He doesn't do that. No, he actually comes to you as a father. Just as Jesus uh, speaks in all of the prayer before, he comes to you as a father. <clears throat> he, sees who, he sees you as you are, comes to you and offers divine forgiveness for all of your failures. As the perfect father, he draws near to you through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died to pay for all of your worst shortcomings and hypocrisies to give you a new identity that doesn't have to sit in the lonely land of hypocrisy, but instead to walk in the light, exposing your deepest, darkest secrets and transforming you into the image of Jesus. I wanted to close with uh, a quote from a guy called Michael Ramsden. Michael Ramsden is a, uh, a Christian apologist. Um, he heads up the Europe division of Ravi Zacharias International Ministry. So he travels around all over the place um, basically sharing the gospel through apologetics. Um, and this is what he said. A man got up uh, during a Q&A and asked him a question. Michael, can I, can I convince you out of your faith? Can I persuade you not to be a Christian anymore? Now, this is a really good question. Can you really persuade a Christian out of their Christian faith? That is to assume that their Christian faith is just a state of mind. He said, Christianity is not just a state of mind, it's a state of being. I can no more deny my second birth through Jesus Christ than I can deny my first birth from my parents. To become a Christian is not to enter into abstract philosophical speculation and commit yourself to a system of thought. It is not to say you are going to have some form of spiritual experiences or learn to say you will enjoy going to church, which for some people would be a class A miracle in and of itself. It's not even to promise to do good things, be nice and be the person that you can, best person you can be, as noble as that may be. To become a Christian is to understand who you are before God. A child of his that has fallen away through rebellion that is now broken, damaged and marred. To understand who Jesus Christ is, that he is God come to us and has taken all of that onto himself and paid the price for it. All of our hypocrisy. All of our rebellion, all of our sin, he actually becomes sin. Jesus Christ himself becomes sin. All of the sin of the past, all of the sin of the future, all loaded onto Christ right there in his death. That he is God come to us and has taken all of that onto himself and paid the price for it and conquered over it and now comes to us and offers a new life in him. Do you know that identity that comes from Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a child in a room filled with people? Finish with this. They come with their family, but somehow they get mixed up in the crowd and they're off playing. And they walk up to a particular male and wrap their arms around his legs. And the male looks down and sort of 
Uh, whose kid is this? The kid looks up and goes, ah, it's not my dad. Uh, and I wonder if you feel like this with God. You feel estranged from him. You feel like, I, I don't even know this God. I don't really know him as a father. And he hands out this offer of forgiveness. I see all your hypocrisies. I see all your weaknesses. I see all your failures. I see every way that your life doesn't match up with who you really are. And I love you anyway. And my son paid the price so that you could actually come and be mine. No longer will you live in this disjointed, uneasy loneliness of hypocrisy. Jesus makes you new and gives you new life, which, you, which will ultimately sync up with his will. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is this your identity today? Do you actually feel like you could pray this prayer sincerely, our Father? Do you feel like you can come to God as a father who you know loves you, including all of your faults and failures and flaws? And he wants to change you and redeem you so that your life actually matches up with what you believe. Because in that is holiness. In that, there's life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, probably going to sound like a hypocrite as I pray now. I'd pray that I wouldn't. you know that uh, my life is far more hypocritical than probably what people sit here and, uh, and know. Um, and, uh, and I wholly, solely depend upon you for that t- change to occur. God, I know that uh, faith does not just mean believing in you, but it actually means believing and then acting out what I believe. And so in this way, I pray uh, for myself, I pray for uh, the project and everyone sitting here today that, uh, that their lives would more and more actually sync up with uh, your will and your plans and your ways. And God, that in that would be marvelous life. That there would be new creation. There would be redeeming of past. That as things get exposed and brought into the light, God, that uh, you would take them and redeem them and make them new. Thank you for the wonderful gospel message that in Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again to conquer Satan, to conquer sin and to conquer death, did it for me. He did it for every person sitting here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.